Good morning. Y'all doing well? How many of you had snow at your house last night? Can I see your hands? How many of you would say, hey, that's just the right amount of snow, not too much to distract me, okay? How many of you wish you were snowed in and didn't have to come to church today? Don't answer that. Hey, welcome to our first crossover uh, message. You're saying, what do you mean crossover message? Uh, some of you that are big television people, you know that they have crossover events. And uh, on uh, Wednesday morning, we have a worship service right here and usually have between 75 and 100 people at that service. And we just call it more at midweek. We have music, prayer time, and then we're able to communicate God's word. And uh, we came to, we're going through second, uh, excuse me, first Corinthians. And uh, we came to the end of chapter four. And when they got there this week, I, I, I began our teaching time to say, hey, we're ready to look at the end of chapter four, but you'll have to come on Sunday morning in order to hear that because I just felt like God wanted me to share that section of scripture with all of us on Sunday morning. So I'm gonna invite you to our first crossover event. Turn to 1 Corinthians and would you find your way to chapter number four? I hope you brought something to write with today because today's the day to do that. Uh, I hate that most of you missed our baptism in the first service. Uh, Pastor Kevin uh, baptized a very special lady today, uh, Miss Donna. And uh, when he was ready to baptize her, uh, Pastor Kevin will, I hope, collaborate with me and authenticate what I'm saying. But the only time I saw him was in the men's restroom today. We haven't, we haven't talked or anything else. But before he baptized her today, he talked about the responsibility that we have as a church to be involved in her discipleship and that that's one of our responsibilities and it was almost like I had scripted that for him. And, and so I went ahead and told people ahead of time because I knew they would ask after the service, oh man, that was cool. You had told Pastor Kevin to say that and it tied into the message, uh, but we really didn't do that. God just did that. Uh, but today I wanna talk to you about some lasting investments, this concept of discipleship, kind of a church term. When you go look up the word disciple uh, in the Bible, it basically says you're a follower of Jesus. You're a disciple, you're a follower of someone. And it's really kind of a church term. In the English language, what I'm really gonna to talk to you about in simple terms today is how to be a mentor to someone in the faith, how to be their guide. And it's interesting to me how different people come into our lives at different times. I was I headed over to, as I shared with you last week, to the Pine Tree Longview basketball game this week. Uh, headed into a whole new gymnasium that I'd never been in before. That wasn't the gym that we had when I graduated from Pine Tree. And uh, just uh, all these flashbacks came as I walked up and uh, walked onto the campus and things looked differently. And uh, you know, when you've been out of high school 120 years, things do typically look different, don't they? Or at least it seemed like that's how long I've been out. But uh, one thing that is still the same is that God sends people into our lives at certain times when there's incredible need. I don't know how he does that, but he does. As a young man growing up here, I'll talk about that at the end of our service today. Uh, it's, it's just been amazing how God's used different people in my life at different times. And I, I, I just wanna tell you up front what I'm shooting for. I'm shooting for the Holy Spirit today. I'm asking the Holy Spirit today to talk to directly to some of our students right here. 
I'm asking him to talk to some of our young adults that are here, some of our median, even a couple of older adults that are here today, and to do a work in your life to challenge you to be a discipler, to be a mentor, to be a guide in the faith as people are striving to be more like Jesus as you come into contact with their lives. We're going to begin reading in just a moment in verse 14. I hope you brought a Bible. Uh, we're going to begin reading in 1 Corinthians chapter number 4, beginning in verse 14. And I'm going to read through the end of the chapter. Now let me just preface what we're going to read by saying, I, I do not believe Paul, when he wrote this, he wrote this specifically to one group of people. I don't think Paul sat down with the attention, intention of saying, hey, people are going to marvel over my heart for people that I've won to Christ, for people that I'm discipling and guiding in the faith, and they're going to use my letter as a side course, as a secondary preliminary way to figure out how to be a discipler. But here's what I do know. People ask me almost on a monthly basis something about discipleship. Well, pastor, what principles of discipleship do you use? What does Oakland Heights use to disciple people? Or pastor, what, how do you disciple someone? And so today, I want to talk to you in very plain terms about how to do that. And I've got something exciting to share with you. I've got the passion and the pathos of a man that loved a group of people so deeply that you and I are able to see his incredible intensity of how much he loved them. And all he's going to do is he's going to go back and he's going to backtrack of all the things that he's done. And as he reflects, you and I are going to be able to go, wow, check one, check two, check. We're going to be able to go down and form a list, a biblical list of how we are to guide those people around us in the faith. So let's begin reading. Here we go. Uh, follow along with me. I'm going to read through the end of the chapter, 1 Corinthians, again, chapter 4, and I'm going to begin reading today in verse number 14. Now, here's what the Word of God says. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you. Now, some of you have this translation, to admonish you. As my dear, and some of you have this translation, my beloved children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians... I don't know if you write in your Bible, but a great way to translate that word guardians here, and I'll come back to that in just a moment, is the word nanny. You understand what a nanny means, don't you? In, in English culture, in American culture, parent hires somebody. They kind of are the worker. In this case, in first century, a slave. Uh, you may have 10,000 nannies or guardians in Christ, but you... Uh, but you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me or to mind me or mimic me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful to the Lord. He will remind you of my way in, in, in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Let's read down through the end of the chapter, just about uh, two or three more verses. Some of you have become arrogant. You, some of you have this translation, you're puffed up, as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon, if, if the Lord is willing, and then we'll find out not only those who are, are, are not only how those uh, or these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, 
It's a matter of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline? Or shall I come to you in love and with a gentle spirit? I think it's significant that we understand two little things as we talk about five things. And I've got to be very patient with you today because some of you are not going to listen as quickly as I want you to. And I've got to be careful not to wander off on any rabbit paths, as my wife says I do way too often. But there's five things I want to share with you. But before I do that, I want to go back and I want you to look at the language here out of the Greek text. There's two things that you need to know about this. In verse 14, where Paul says, I'm writing this, that's in the Greek language, it's what we call the I being in the emphatic position. Some of you have this translation, even in the Revised Standard, I alone am your father, or I alone uh, am, am writing this. You got to understand that Paul is saying, hey, one of the reasons that I'm sharing these things is because I'm responsible for you. I am responsible in the sense that many of you, I won you to the Lord in the marketplace, out in the street, at someone's home, maybe at Priscilla's home or Aquila and Priscilla's home, or maybe at work when I was working uh, in, in the leather business. Uh, some of you are my coworkers, and it was out of those people that came to know the Lord Jesus Christ that we formed the church at Corinth. And he wants them to know that he alone was responsible for bringing that together under God's authority as God's instrument. And then he makes that incredible statement, there it is again, about him being the father, not the guardians. We all have people in our lives that have opinions. We have music people, coaches. We have different instructors for different things, but we only have one biological father. We only have one biological mother. And in the Christian faith, Someone led you to Christ. God used some instrument to help you come to that place where you accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. They become known as your spiritual father or your spiritual mother or your spiritual parent. And with that as our understanding and backdrop, let's write down these five things. Now, they're important. And let's just be reminded, why are they important? Because if you're going to be a discipler, an investor, if you're going to be an individual that's going to help guide people in the Christian faith, let's look at these five principles and they need to be applied into how you're doing your guiding, your mentoring, your discipling. Number one is the concept of birthing or he birthed them. Now you say, well, what exactly does that mean? we come face to face with the understanding that part of discipleship is helping people come to know the Lord Jesus. Now I'm talking to about 80% of people if the latest uh, statistics are true, 78% is, uh, uh, is, is the latest number that we have of people in evangelical churches that have never even attempted, even attempted to share the gospel with anyone. Did you get that? That's almost eight out of 10 of you, of first service, of Moberly, of first Baptist, of first Methodist, of the Bible church out here. I mean, of all the evangelical churches, eight out of 10 of everybody that's in church today has never even attempted to share the gospel. And did you get that? So there's only two out of 10 of you in here that have even tried to share the gospel. And we know that not everyone we share the gospel with 
trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Some will decline the offer. Some will ignore us. Some will be mean to us. Some will laugh at us. Some will begin weeping and crying and be emotional and be thankful that we shared, but they won't trust our Jesus. And so I know that I'm talking to a very few people in this room that have really ever seen somebody and you've become their spiritual father or mother or parent. Hardly anyone in this room has had that experience, if statistics are true. But would it be possible for the Holy Spirit to talk to a student, a young person, a young couple today in their heart, not the pastor, but something work going on inside of you to say, you know what? Paul tells us and teaches us something very important here that part of the whole mentoring, part of the whole discipling concept is an understanding that we are to be a parent. You understand a father, don't you? A father is someone who has a child. You understand that, a, uh, I mean, you can be a man and not a father. You can be a husband and not be a father. A father is someone that has offspring. You do understand that living organisms are by nature made to reproduce. Vegetation, animals, humanity, things that live are built to reproduce. That means you and I, when we're not reproducing, winning people to Christ, we're a contradiction. In other words, we're dysfunctional. We're not being the believers scripturally and under the authority of the Holy Spirit that we are being called to be. Now, if I were a basketball player and my coach said, hey, when you drop down to that power step, you're not dropping far enough. You need to correct that and that will help you in terms of your shot and man, you may score 20 more points a game. You know, I think I would have enough common sense to say, I think I'm gonna deepen that power step, that drop step a little bit because I would really wanna be, I want my team to be successful. I would like to be successful as a basketball player. But it's amazing to me when a pastor, when a biblical teacher conveys to people, we need to be sharing the gospel, very seldom does anything happen. It's kinda like, yeah, just like you're doing to me right now. Yeah, I got it. And so what I'm praying for I know as a big, fat, stuttering, ball-headed communicator, I'm not going to share anything that's going to knock you off your feet. In fact, some people got their arms crossed right here saying, challenge me if you can. Just challenge me, big man. See if you can convince me to share Jesus. I can't do that. All I can do is point you to the way. The Holy Spirit has got to do that. But part of guiding people in the faith is birthing them. And I want you to see this. Paul does this by saying, I'm the instrument. But Paul so readily understands something very important. He understands it's not his power. He understands it's not his gospel. In fact, look at your Bibles with me down into verse 15. He says, you do not have many fathers for in Christ Jesus. Do you see that acknowledgement? I became your father through the gospel. Now that's a huge statement. He's acknowledging the power of God in Christ, but he's also acknowledging the agency of God or what we call the gospel. That's the tool. But we know our God also uses us 
as instruments to convey the gospel, but it's only under the authority of the power of God that it happens. It's not because, oh wow, man, Pastor Cook was so slick in his presentation. Man, that man can make you crawl up under a bleacher, man. Yeah, I'm gonna trust Jesus. I mean, did you look in that man's eyes? I wasn't gonna tell him no. No, 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 no. It's just that, hey, I'm here. I see you struggling. And I wanna talk to you about something that's very important. And understand before I talk to you about this, as you're conveying the gospel, it's not anything I'm gonna convey to you that's any power that I have but it's under the authority of God that I think he's using me as a potential instrument to help you. And I want to share with you this gospel. I want to share with you one of the most powerful things that ever happened in the history of mankind. I want you to listen to it. And then if you have any questions, I'm going to be here to answer it. And then after I share this with you, I'm going to ask you, if you want to believe in that and you want to trust the Lord Jesus, and if you do, you understand it's not anything I've convinced you to do. It's just God's using me and he called me to this place at this time, at this point in your life to share this message with you. What you do with it, I can't control. I only have some little, small, piquito level of control over what I'm doing. And that's only because of the grace of God that he's given me the health to be here. And so Paul acknowledges that. It's just like in James 1.18, James said, he chose us to give, or he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. In 1 Peter, Peter described it this way in 1 Peter 1.23, for you have been born again, not a per perishable seed, not because some person some human being, someone's going to die. That wasn't how you were born again, but of the imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. And I just suggest to you that old Paul understood that. He understood right there in verse number 15. I'm your father, but you understand I'm only your father because of the grace of God. It was his power and it was his authority and all I am is an instrument. Number two, the second of five things. See, I told you, you weren't gonna listen fast enough. You gotta listen faster, okay? Number two, we know that the second part of really mentoring people in the faith, discipling them, guiding them, is you've got to love them. You've got to really, really love them. Now, that's very difficult to do. How many of you would say this is a audience participation moment? How many of you say you have somebody in your life that can be really challenging and hard to love. Can I see your hands? Look at old Sam, wouldn't raise his hand, but he looked right at his wife when he, when he did that, all right? Hey, I, I'm with you. We all have some people in our lives. In fact, go back to the text right here. Look at the end of verse 14. He says, I want to warn or admonish you as my beloved children, King James, or my dear children. It becomes very evident to us that old Paul loved the people. Man, he loved these people. Now you can guess, I hope, even very primer, basic Bible students know in our Greek New Testament, there's three words for love. We know phileo, brotherly love, eros, erotic love, and these aren't the two words used, or agapeo, we agape love, if you will. The deepest, most intimate, caring, godly love 
The, the word that was used so intently in our New Testament when it referred to some kind of clean, pure, God-like love. And of all the words to select, that's the word that Paul selects. He says, I love you out of the love of the Lord. Now, on your little outline, if you're using one of those today, I just made three observations about the kind of love we're talking about. First of all, Paul had this understanding love understanding love. In fact, we can sense as you read all of 1 Corinthians, we can see it sense that he really wanted to meet their needs and he wanted to know why they were hurting. And Paul wanted to fulfill their hopes and he wanted to dispel their fears. In fact, at times we could see in his words, he wanted to really take something that we're struggling with, a weakness, and he wanted to strengthen it. All of this because he loved people. Let me tell you something. You're not gonna mentor or guide anyone or disciple anybody in the faith at any segment of their life unless you really love them. And I'm talking about loving them with understanding. But a second thing, he also loved them with gentleness. Jot that down, a sense of gentleness. Even when he was stern, there was something about the way Paul addressed the church at Corinth that you knew there was a gentle spirit inside of him. He understood that spiritual children, infants in the Lord, are gonna make mistakes. They're gonna foul up. They're gonna be slow to learn. In fact, some are gonna replicate mistakes of all things. And it's gonna take what? An extra sense of patience. And so not only did they have understanding, and not only did he have gentleness, but write this down, there was an intensity about his love. It was so important to him. I was sharing with our first service today uh, in August. In fact, some of our students were probably here when this happened. We had a real scare here at the center last August. We had just opened up after school started and a bunch of the children came over here to eat in the snack shack. And one of the small children, the younger children, got away from adult leadership and a parent and began to try to cross Judson Road between five and six o'clock. And, and I, I, you're already trained on this. You know there's two people, the kinds of people that cross Judson Road, the quick and the dead. And, and here this child goes, right out in the middle of traffic. Luckily, one of our other adults went and grabbed the child and brought them back. But if you just stop for a moment and hold that picture in your mind, you're a parent, you look up, your child just kind of wandered away from you, kind of like David Miller here, Maddie Goose, where are you, where are you? And he looks up, ah, there she is, 5.30, Judson Road, 50 mile an hour traffic, she's right out there in the turn lane in the middle. And do you think David Miller is gonna kind of tiptoe out there? Grab Maddie Goose's hand and say, baby, if we're not careful, you and I could get squished like bugs out here in the middle of this road. Now, very quietly and calmly, I'm gonna ask that you put your hands around your dad's neck and very carefully, I'm gonna pick you up. We're gonna wait until the traffic is cleared and then I'm gonna make a mad dash back across the road and then, Maddie Goose, I'm gonna beat the fire out of you. <laughs> no, most parents are gonna have this incredible what? Intensity. They're gonna do what Child Protective Services would say, hey, that's abusive. They're gonna go out there, they're gonna grab that child, they're gonna jerk them out of traffic, out of harm's way, and they're gonna come back and everybody around is gonna be applauding, say, wow, awesome, awesome, awesome. And then they're gonna get over there and then 
I'm not even going to repeat what's going to happen. That's the kind of intensity that Paul seemed to have. It wasn't this radical, I'm here to hurt you kind of intensity. It was, I can't believe this. As my children, as the Lord's church of the Lord Jesus Christ, I look around at what's happening with this fellowship, and I'm telling you, somebody needs to jerk you up. There, needs, there was an intensity about him, a tremendous desire to see them grow in Christ, and it was that passion and that concern that fueled a heavy level. I think you're getting the picture. If you're really going to make a difference in students' life and young adults' life and senior adult life, let me tell you something. You're not going to do it without that kind of love. And I don't know about you, but we could stop the message right here because I'm exhausted. I mean, if we just did that, if we just love people with understanding and this sense of gentleness and this sense of intensity, that would be exhausting by itself. And then we've got our own biological families to deal with. But Paul went on. And you and I are so privileged this morning. We're able to kind of look, by, kind of at a side view here of a man sharing his heart with people that he birthed and loved to get this formula of true, true discipleship. Number three, jot it down. There's got to be a sense of admonishment or warning time to do this. You've got to be willing to warn. You've got to be willing to admonish. Now go back to verse number 14. I don't know what translation you're holding today. Some of you are holding a phone that you could pull up many translations. Maybe you have an NIV because that's what the pastor usually uses. Maybe you have your American Standard. Maybe you're bringing one of the nine revised translations. Maybe you've got the Holy Scroll, the King James. But you're probably going to have one or two words warn or admonish there it is verse one I, I didn't come to shame you but I'm just here to give you a word of warning I'm here to give you a word of admonishment now if we define that word it means to criticize in love for the aim or purpose of change when someone warns you they are bringing a kind of a level of criticism or concern with the purpose or the aim that you are going to go in a different direction. So anytime this word is used in the old or out of the Septuagint, old or new, you understand that it presupposes something. It assumes a problem. When the word's used, it's assuming a weakness. It's assuming a sin. It's presupposing some kind of problem. And so when Paul says, I... Hey, I didn't come to beat you over the head. I just came to give you a warning. I just came to admonish you. I'm bringing forth what? A correction point to hope that your life will turn around. In this room are some of the guys that were kidding me about me talking about devotional. So I'm going to really uh, get right at them today by saying this. Some time ago, I was reading in my Old Testament about a guy by the name of Eli. If you've ever heard of Eli in your Old Testament, would you just hold you up your hands? Is there just four of us that ever heard of Eli? Eli was a priest. First Samuel chapter two and three really talk about his life. He was the head honcho. He was the priest of all of God's people at one point in the Old Testament. Recorded again, first Samuel two and chapter three. I believe Eli now is gonna get my vote 
Well, at least he's in my top three of the worst parents of all time from the Bible. In fact, when you come to 1 Samuel chapter three, the Bible says Eli, and listen to this, I wrote it down exactly, he restrained them not. When it came to his two sons, the Bible quote says, Eli restrained them not. I mentioned a few moments ago, when we go to the Old Testament and we try to correlate Hebrew with Greek, there's something called the Septuagint that we're able to kind of correlate what words go into Hebrew and back to the Greek. It's called Septuagint. In, in, in the Hebrew language, we know we can correlate that into the Greek language through the Septuagint. It also means when it says restrain them not, it means he admonished them not. He warned them not. And I'm here to tell you that is a tragedy. In fact, 1 Samuel 2 records this moment when Eli jerks his two boys aside and says, now boys, and here's exactly what he says in 1 Samuel 2, it is reported to me. In other words, somebody told me that you two boys are not just being friendly with the ladies greeting at the front of the temple, but you're having sex with them. Now, this is the priest, the holy priest of God who finds out his two boys are having sex with the lady greeters at the church. And the incredible words that Eli uttered, it is reported to me. Eli, you weren't father enough to know what your children were doing? Were you so busy with your ministry that you didn't even know what your own kids were doing? Eli, why did it have to be reported to you? And Eli's confronting his sons about doing these things and he's asking them, why would you do that? And when I heard that in 1 Samuel chapter two, it broke my heart because I said, Eli, that's not even relevant why they did it. The, we're not talking about causes here. Eli, you need to be focused on solutions. You see, when a parent doesn't even love a child enough to warn them and admonish them, they're not much value to the child. When a believer is guiding, mentoring, and discipling another believer, and you don't have the courage in love to sit down with them and say, hey, you know, when you followed the Lord Jesus, you decided you were going to adhere to certain standards to be as much like Jesus as you possibly could. And I really don't think your moral choices are reflecting that. One of the things that my wife and I privately have talked about so often, there's been at least, you ought to get her aside, she, she can tell you about this a lot better than I can. How many different women at different churches that we've pastored or been members of or been a part of certain different things with church ministry kind of things, a lot of times out of town, how many times people get up on the platform and don't dress appropriately? And most time, nobody has the courage to tell them. Ma'am, you can't get on the elevated platform and wear a skirt that comes down to here. 
You do understand people are below you looking upward, don't you? Nobody has the courage. It takes a lot of courage for a student, for somebody in their circle to be living a lifestyle and some kind of booze or alcohol, whatever it is. It takes somebody that loves somebody an awful lot to sit down with them and say, hey, hey, man, I'm not here to be, to be the judge and jury, but I am here because I love you. And what you're doing is wrong. It's wrong by the and it's gonna cost you. You're gonna look back and you're gonna hate yourself for this. It's, you're not going in a good direction. I wanna be here to help you. It takes courage to cross over that threshold. Did you see what Paul said in verse 14? Hey guys, I love you so much. I'm here to warn you. I'm here to what? To admonish you. You see, if we're not willing to confront the lives with the very needs that people have in them, and we're not willing to live alongside of them through that journey, you're not gonna be much of a discipler, a helper, a guide, a mentor. Number four, you gotta hurry, jot this down. Number four, you gotta be willing to set the example for them. You've gotta be willing to be a living example for them, setting the pattern, if you will. In fact, look in verse 16, not much doubt in this little bitty short verse what Paul says here, is there? What's it, five or six words? You just came right to the point, didn't you, in verse 16. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me, copy me. By the way, the Greek word there is mimeti. You mimic me. You do just as I do. Now that is a bold assertion. Many believers would not have the courage, nor should they, say, look, I would just value you looking at my life. If you deem it worthy of following the Lord Jesus Christ, imitate what I'm doing. Imitate how I treat my wife. Imitate how I pay my bills. Imitate how I treat others. Imitate in terms of my faithfulness, my walk in Christ. Man, that's a bold, bold assertion. But I would suggest to you, how can you guide someone unless you're the pattern or you're setting a pattern for the very point? People are not gonna just do what you say. They're more often gonna do what you do. And so as you're praying about helping someone else, I'm telling you, the toughest place to disciple anybody is your own home because they see you every single day. They see every wart, every bad thing, every good thing, every challenging day that you have, every time that you're sick and tired of talking to somebody, <laughs> when you're agitated, they see it all. If you can win a brother or sister out of your home to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something, your life's pretty doggone strong. To be a discipler in your own home, to imitate. In fact, Philippians 4.9, Paul makes a big deal of this in the New Testament. He said in Philippians 4.9, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Over in this very book, 1 Corinthians chapter number 11 and verse one, Paul says, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. A consistent walk. You'll never help someone if you're not consistent in your own life. You gotta set the pattern. I kind of just show you a little private journey I went on in verse 17. In verse 17, Paul's talking about mimic, do what I do, right? 
And then I don't know if you thought this was bizarre, but I thought it was bizarre. Paul's talking about following his example. And then out of nowhere, he says, oh, and by the way, verse 17, for this reason, I have sent to you Timothy. It's kind of like, dude, you want me to be like Paul is, who is a follower of Christ, imitate you, okay? Then why would you send Timothy? And why would you say something about sending Timothy? And the more I looked at it, I thought, you know what? Wow, I missed it. It was perfectly placed. And looking back at it now, I think I better understand why Paul put it there. What an incredible statement. Paul said, let me give you an example of this in my life setting the pattern. I'm going to send to you, Timothy. A young man that was one out of my ministry when I was preaching and I've been pouring my whole life into it. In fact, it is to such a point now as Timothy now is a, really a young man, not in high school anymore. Here's a young man that's passed through the college days. He's a young man in ministry now. And let me tell you something, I'm sending him to you. And when you see him, he will be almost the exact representation of who I am. When you see Timothy in your presence, he'll be a total reflection of who I am. In fact, it's going to be just like me being there. He's a spiritual son and he could stand in my place. And I'm telling you, there's no greater compliment. When it comes to guiding someone and them following your pattern and following your example, there's nothing better than when Paul says, follow me, know me. And if you can't do that, follow Timothy, know him. And when you're following those two, you're going to be, we trust, following just the Lord as you need to. Wow. Number five, jot this final thing down, and that is teaching. Go down to verse number 17, very end of the verse. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church, everywhere, teaching everywhere in every church. Wow. I just want to apologize. You know, I grew up Southern Baptist, grew up in this church, grew up in, evan in, in, in an evangelical world, a churchy kind of world. And I've got to be just transparent with you. What I've seen and witnessed through almost 60 years of life now is many of the evangelicals have taken this, this concept of teaching, and they think teaching is discipling. Teaching is not discipling. Teaching is not mentoring. Teaching is not guiding. Teaching is a part of that process, and only a part. We have used that way too long in evangelical life and say, oh, man, we're really discipling people. We're teaching them this class. We're teaching them what to do. Oh, no, 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 no. Discipling and mentoring and guiding is loving them and warning them and putting your life there and investing in them. Teaching is only a small part, a small segment of that. In fact, isn't it incredible that Paul, without even knowing I don't think he set aside to say, wow, 2,000 years from now, somebody's really going to get some good outline stuff from this. But Paul carefully has showed us, you remember, birth them, reproduce them. And then he came back and he says, what? 
live in front of them, live with them, be a part of their life. And now he comes back and he says, teach them. You do understand that's the three elements of the Christian life right there. Win others to Christ, live among them and be a part of their lives and teach them in the guiding process. And that's in a summary, in a nutshell, what the Christian life is all about. And let me tell you something. We need to come back and think about our teaching. Our teaching needs to be simple and practical. John Stott, the great theologian said, if we really love people, our objectives will not be to impress them with our learning, but to help them with theirs. Becky and I were thrilled to host the preteen kids over Friday night at the farm. And man, do I feel sorry for our one guy that showed up, 10 girls and one guy, fifth and sixth graders. Are you with me? You talk about a little uncomfortable. Hello. <laughs> so the preteen said, hey, we just really want to do a couple things. We want to eat and we want to play spooky hide and go seek stuff out in the woods. I said, okay, we can do that on close to 20 acres. We can do that. So man, we had them a fire built. Anyway, I couldn't believe there were three or four of the kids that had never even cooked a marshmallow on an open fire. Now that's frightening. They found out very quickly, marshmallows will burn. You know what I'm saying? And so we're hanging around the fire there and uh, cooking s'mores, some hot dogs. Everything had to be cooked out on the open fire. And uh, uh, one of the young ladies there, and there were plenty of those, one of the young ladies there, I was standing by her and she kind of looked up at me and she said, um, like, are, like, are you a pastor? And it was like, I think I'm a pastor. Do I look like a pastor? She looked at me and said, not really. Um, I said, well, what do pastors look like? She says, well, they usually dress nice, you know? And I said, oh, okay. Well, I've been building this fire for you. I'm sorry. I, I'll try to dress a little nicer. I, sometimes I dress a little nicer. And she said, well, um, what is your name? And I said, well, good question. My name's Michael Cook. And she said, and she told me her name and had these big, thick Coke bottle glasses on. And, and uh, she's, you know, she's, she's got her hot dog on a skewer there over the fire. And she said, do you care if I ask you a question? I said, no, ma'am, ask away. And I'm thinking she's going to ask about, hey, why does this thing have two prongs on it? Do I need to put it down by the coals or the open flame or something? She says, "Um, I've always wanted to know how Jesus can be in heaven and in your heart at the same time. Great question. And so I'm kind of thinking here on my feet, you know what I'm saying? And so... um, I say, well, that's hard to explain. And so I said, I guess I would answer that by saying, well, God is everywhere. And without even flinching, she said, oh, he must be awfully fat. I'm getting deeper and deeper in this. True story, Friday night. And I said, well, and I'm trying to think. And so I use this word, I said, well, let me tell you this. God is omnipresent. He has omnipresence. He's everywhere. And now I'm thinking, what am I doing? Here's a fifth grade girl with these three really thick glasses on trying to figure out some of the basic concepts of the Christian faith. And here I am trying to use some real churchy language. And she looks at me and she says, uh, well, if he's not really fat and, and he's everywhere, I mean, I guess he's got to be real fat if he's everywhere. And I said, no, 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 no. Uh, 
God doesn't have a body like we think about. And now I'm thinking, man, I'm just getting deeper and deeper and deeper in this. Come back next week and I'll tell you how the story ended, okay? All that to say this. Part of investing in others when we're teaching them is not to try to show them all these things that we've learned, but to really put our lives in a place where we can help them find out exactly where they are and help them go to the very next step. I was sharing with uh, those as we left the first service this morning about, you know, I can take these little sheets of paper here and take one of the students and say, here, why don't you take these and five things. I've just been watching you this morning. I know these lights are bright, but they're not so bright that I can't see you. I know two of you have dozed off. I've seen that, I've witnessed that. But it's just like, I didn't really notice any of you getting knocked off your feet. I mean, as I shared something with you, I mean, usually when you share something with people that they don't know, it's like, oh, wow. I I mean, there's some kind of acknowledgement, but most of you kind of already acted like you know that you should be sharing Christ and birthing people. I guess some of you just had made the assumption as a believer, you need to love on people. Nothing really new and remarkable there, is there? Or warning people when they get in trouble. Hey, a friend that's been through three divorces and somebody has never sat down with her and said, hey, could it be it's not those three men, but now does three constitute a pattern? Could it be something in your life? No, nobody's ever thought about that and talked to me about that. No, that's just kind of a warning and an admonishment. I just wanted to sit down and talk to you about that. I mean, I think most of us know that. And just looking at you, I think most of you know about how important the example is. You can't lead somebody unless you are. And I think most of you understand how important teaching is. As I talked to one of our parents from our students the other day, he said, well, our kids got student council, they got this, they got, they got band, they got cheer. I said, whoa, 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 wait. All, all that's gonna go away in a few years. Is any of that gonna help them pick the right mate? Right husband? Are any of those gonna help them in their moral choices? See, the teaching and instruction of God's word offers things that the world can't. And so I think you know how important teaching is. But let's just wind this up with this question. Then why aren't we doing this? You already knew these things. You're not doing them because it costs you too much. You know in your life you're going to have to go in and carve out some of the things that are your leisure and luxury, things that you enjoy doing, you're going to lose that. You're going to lose that time. If you're going to spend two hours a week with somebody you're investing in, doing things with them, going places, talking to them, I mean, really investing in their lives, or three hours, or 90 minutes, or 64 minutes a week, or whatever it is, it's going to cost you something. And what I can't figure out And if you know the answer to this, I'll be waiting right back at the back after the service. I'm ready for the answer. Is if your life is anything like mine, whether you're 15 today in here or you're 85 and you're here today, 
There have been certain people in your life that have come along already at age 15 and so many at age 85 that help you through those early adult years or through high school years or middle school years or, or hey, when you were in your 30s and you were struggling with really what you wanted to do, you, you had the degree, but man, you were miserable or after year seven of the marriage began to go south and somebody came along, God just sent those kind of people into my life. In fact, as I shared with our first service today, I wouldn't be here as pastor today if I didn't have that feeling. I came to Oakland Heights partly, God led me here, but, but partly out of the fact that Oakland Heights has invested in me for 30 years of my life, and it was time for me when I was called upon to say, you know what, I've got to give back. I would rather live in New Mexico. I would rather be at First Baptist Albuquerque. Not now I wouldn't, but that's where I was five years ago. But part of the call of God that he put in my life is, no, 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 no. It's time for you to go back. Yeah, but Lord, all they're going to do is remember when I was in high school and I acted like a fool. They're not going to listen to me. I'm a hometown guy. I don't care. You're going to go back. And you're going to spend the rest of your life giving back. And I am convinced, if you know the answer to this question, why aren't we doing what you already know what to do? I think the answer is, it is not so important to us and we're not willing to give up certain things that we have in our life that are more important to us. But the question I can't figure out is, why? When I look at all those people, Burt Brumley, Dr. Norman, Judy Stodds, Mike and Linda Fitchy, people that helped me in high school do challenge, I mean, people that helped me in college, when I think back, something inside of me says, man, I need to help somebody else. But when I look out at 80, 90% of people in churches, they don't have that feeling. Why? Something's jacked up. I smell a rat. If I really knew the Lord and know him, and somebody out of the thanksgiving my heart for the Lord and thanksgiving for others of what they've done for me, then part of who I am and part of what I'm becoming is going to be the very nature of the Holy Spirit working in me to do something for others. And I just leave that with you. You think about that. No pastor can make you do anything. You're Texans. You're big, bad Texans. What I've asked today is the Holy Spirit, that he'll do something to bring you to a place where you're willing in 2022 to make a lasting impression and investment. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these moments that we've had in your word. Thank you for letting us peep in at a heart full of love for God's people that Paul had. Thanks for letting us write down and be reminded of a number of important factors that it takes when we're going to invest in lives around us. We've got to love on them. 
We've got to teach them. We've got to give them a pattern. We've got to birth them into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are those hard conversations when we have to sit down sometimes and admonish and warn them and say, hey, 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 have you thought about this? This may not be a path that you want to go down. This may not be a good place for you to end up. What we're doing here may cost us more in the end than we're willing to pay. Sin always takes us to places that cost us more than we ever imagined having to pay. And Lord, I just pray that you would use your word to pierce and touch the hearts of these that are here today. And these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.